Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 5. While you're turning there, I want to remind us of the verses that we are trying to memorize, to hide in our hearts. They're part of a larger passage of Scripture that we're going to be working through from now until the first year. And that larger passage of Scripture is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So as you have your devotions, read that passage every morning and familiarize yourself with it and start to apply it to your life. We're working on verses 3 and 4 this month. Let's read the verses, quote the verses together. We'll start with the reference, do the verses, and then we will finish with the reference. Here we go. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Keep working on that passage of Scripture. It will be a blessing to you. We're working on adding another brick. Building our lives, trying to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. So far, we've worked through 15 different blocks, and this morning, I want to add one that is part of all of our lives, and I'm going to call it pressure points. You ever have those in your life? You ever get to the time that everything seems to go well, and you're doing just great, and and things are really seeming to click along, and then all of a sudden, it just kind of caves in. Somebody seems to hit the delete button and everything falls apart and you lose it all. And you're frustrated because your concentration has been broken and then you don't know what to do. It upsets you. It discombobulates you. Is that a real word? It discombobulates you. It puts you in distress mode. You might even get depressed over the whole thing. And you don't know what to do. Nehemiah is at that point. Chapter 4 tells us that he's busy building the wall. He's focused. He has his sword in one hand. He has his trowel in the other hand. And they are going to work. And it is just going. Everybody's working together. Everybody's happy. Everybody is really concentrating on the task that God has given them to do. And they're getting it done. You know, that's an exciting time. When everybody's pulling together, concentrating on the task, getting it done. But the first word in chapter 5 tells us that there's going to be a change. It's now. Anytime you see a now, know that things just are about ready to be different. Now, the now is very important here. And I think it's important that we understand something about the timeline of Nehemiah. Somebody came to me this morning and said, Pastor, how long have you been here? I said, since 7.15 this morning. <laughs> that was a correct answer. They said, no, 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 no. How long have you been here? Well, they didn't ask the question any differently, and so I didn't know if it was different. But now, it's good to under, and by the way, it's been four years. Four years the 1st of August. The now here in, no, 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 no. Now, the now here in Nehemiah helps us understand something about a timeline that has affected 
these people. As you read Nehemiah chapter 1, you discover that it is the 20th year of Artaxerxes. Actually, chapter 1 just says 20th year. Chapter 2, verse 1 says of Artaxerxes. So we know that it's during this Babylonian king's reign. Now, if we go back again to chapter 1, we discover very quickly some months that are listed. Now, the months that are listed are different than what you and I would list. I said August this morning. Everybody knows what August is, right? But the months that are listed in Nehemiah are lunar months. They're Jewish months. And they are given to us according to a lunar schedule, not a Jewish schedule. The Jewish calendar is based on lunar cycles. That's not motorcycles, that's lunar cycles, all right? On lunar cycles. Toward the beginning of the moon cycle, it appears as a thin crescent. That is the signal for a new Jewish month. You're learning something this morning, right? The moon grows until it is full, the middle of the month, and then it begins to wane until it cannot be seen. It remains invisible for about two days, and then the thin crescent reappears, and the cycle begins again. Now, Jewish months, and there are 13 of them, are either 29 or 30 days, and then there are some leap months, because the calendar is on 29 and a half days. That's how long it takes for the moon to cycle, all right? So, we have 13 different months. They're 29 or 30 days. Some of them flex back and forth between the two to make sure that they get it all done in one year, all right? Now, let's go back and see where we are in these months. Because, as I said again, it matters. It really does. In Nehemiah 1.1, when Nehemiah received the delegation, the month was Chislev. And that is our October or November, all right? You remember that a, a delegation came from Jerusalem, sought out Nehemiah, they're called brothers, may well have been family members, and said that the walls are falling down, the gates have been burned, and we're in pitiful shape. Nehemiah prays about that and then looks for an opportunity to talk to the king, Artaxerxes. And in chapter 2, we find out that Nehemiah then approaches the king in the month of Nisan. That's March or April. Uh, by the way, Nisan is the first month of the Jewish calendar year. It's when they celebrate the Passover. You remember in Exodus when God delivered his people? And God told them to keep that day as a memorial and to mark it as the first day. That's in Nisan. Okay? Now, we fast forward to chapter 6, and we discover that the wall was finished in 52 days and the scripture tells us that that's the month of Elu on the 25th day the wall was finished so when was the wall being built you got to back up now right so you back up 52 days and you find that the wall was started on a third which is July August now the reason I took you through that little exercise is this People from all over Israel and Judah came to help with the building of the wall. They left their living spaces, they left their homes, and they came to Jerusalem so that they could participate in this time of celebration, this time of commitment, this time of putting back together 
the city that God had given to them. Now, look at what timetable they came. They started the wall July-August. So they are coming May and June, July, and getting ready to, to start the wall, all right? Now, this was an agrarian society. That means they were all farmers. And they depended upon their agrarian skills for their livelihood. What happens when people leave their farms in May and June and take a trip? What happens? Yeah, they, they don't have many crops, do they? So they left all of their resources and they came to Jerusalem and tried to make a go of it. And trying to live and trying to get some help and trying to sustain themselves as they help build the wall. That's the now. And you need to understand that some of these people are struggling. Some of these people are having to depend upon other people to meet their needs. And as happens in many situations, somebody sees an opportunity and takes advantage of it. And that's what we have in the first five verses here of Nehemiah chapter 5. Follow along in your text, will you please? Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against Jewish brothers. Boy, it must have been serious if the wives were complaining. You know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But may I remind you that it was the wives who were staying home and taking care of the family's existence. Men were out on the wall. Men were out doing their thing. Men were out serving the Lord. And the wives recognized how desperate it was. And so there's this great outcry against the Jewish brothers. What was going on? Verse 2, four. There were those, that's Jewish brothers, who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there are those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. These people come to Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, we got a problem. This isn't right. We've had to go out and get grain, and people have given us grain, but they've charged us for it. We've had to mortgage our houses. We've had to give up our fields, and in some cases, we'd have to give away our family members just to subsist. Now, there was some grumbling going on here. You know, at times, grumbling can be as a result of legitimate things. And these were legitimate challenges that these people had in their lives. And we need to understand that because of these legitimate challenges, Nehemiah had to stop what he was doing, 
and had to figure out how to minister to the people. Can you think of any other time in the history of Israel when the people murmured? When they grumbled? When they weren't satisfied? Do you remember all of those times in the wilderness when they were leaving Egypt? Do you remember how they murmured because they didn't have any water? Do you remember how they murmured because they didn't have any bread? Remember how they murmured because they didn't have any meat? Do you remember how they murmured because Moses left them? Remember how they murmured because they didn't like the bread that God had given to them? You know, there is no greater pressure in ministry than the grumbling of God's people, even if it is for legitimate reasons. I opened an email this morning. Probably shouldn't do that on Sundays. But this email started out by thanking my wife for a ministry that she had had to some folks in a restaurant. And this individual was, was thanking Connie for asking about a family member who had had some physical needs. In fact, when Connie asked just recently about this family member, they had forgotten they had the physical needs because they are all done and all taken care of. And so, Connie, thanks for being sensitive. And then this person said this, and I quote, saying all this just to let you know how nice it was to hear Connie remembering issues even though her husband didn't. I wasn't in the restaurant. These folks do not attend Calvary Baptist Church. Let you into my world a bit. But, but doesn't that just give you a shot of encouragement? But this happens so often in the family of God. May I fast forward you to Acts chapter 6? Where the widows were neglected in their daily distribution. And they were grumbling. They were murmuring. And it's at that time that the apostle said, let's call out seven men who can serve in this way. Who can help us with this matter. Now there are Three points of contention that we find in these first five verses. They didn't have enough grain. They were mortgaging their fields and they were being enslaved. Now, the first two, God commands that that not happen in the Jewish households. The Jews were to take care of one another. And if they, they saw someone who didn't have enough grain, they were to help them with that. Do you remember Ruth and Boaz? Naomi came back and didn't have enough grain. And, you, and the custom was that the landowners would leave the corners of their fields unpicked so that those who didn't have any grain could go and get some. That was the way God chose to take care of people. Mortgaging fields and vineyards was also contrary to God's law. And the Mosaic law made it very, very clear that people were to take care of people without enslaving them in the process. Here in Nehemiah chapter 5, 
we find that there are some legitimate needs that get taken to Nehemiah, and all of a sudden, what's he supposed to do? Now, just a couple of things about these legitimate needs. First of all, they only get worse with time. Anytime that you see a need and say, I ought to do something about that, it's not going to get any better with time. And you need to understand that because we need to invest and be involved in each other's lives as we see those particular needs taking place. They need to be handled biblically, not emotionally. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a few moments. We need to help people do right. We need to help people do right spiritually we need to help people do right spiritually so they can grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ meeting needs is not just a handout meeting needs is encouraging someone to do what God wants us to do, wants them to do and help them do it and lastly they tend to interrupt real work. I mean, Nehemiah had to stop what he was doing and figure out how to help these people. Now, you have the timeline, right? These folks moved to Jerusalem during the planting season. They came without resources. They came without benefits. They, 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 they just came because they really wanted to be involved in the project. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in a desperate situation, and people are taking advantage of that. And they go to Nehemiah and say, hey, Nehemiah, help us out. Verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are extracting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, this thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain, let us abandon this extracting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that have been extracted from them, exacted from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garments and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Nehemiah starts to push back. He gets up sad. In fact, the scripture says he gets angry. 
I can think of one time in my 40 plus years of ministry when I got angry because of something that had taken place within the church because of something someone had done. You know, anger is a tough place to be. Anger isn't a difficult emotion to deal with. You see, the problem with anger is there are two basic possibilities. Either we blow up, and that happens so easily, or we clam up. And neither one of these possibilities solves the problem. Keep your finger here in Nehemiah chapter 5 and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, will you please? Ephesians chapter 4. Now, knowing and doing are two different things. All right? Let me begin with verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, having put, a, put away falsehood, let every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, and do not give opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt communication, no corrupting talk, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Did you see what Paul tells us in verse 26? Be angry and don't sin. You say, well, all I have is righteous indignation. Oh, really? This kind of anger, either blowing up or clamming up, is sin. Because anger is a God-given emotion that should be used to solve a problem. It's not meant to destroy it's not meant to distract. It's meant to be used in order to biblically respond to the challenges, the pressure points in our lives. And the problem with anger is when we blow up or we clam up, we give Satan a toehold. Isn't that what the scripture says? King James, and do not give place to the devil. So how do we handle anger in our lives? In order for us to deal with the anger, there has to be a confrontation. Now, I don't like that word. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Sounds like getting in somebody's face. It sounds like beating heads together. I, I don't like that word. So let me give you another word. Connection. 
The only way that you can solve your problems is to connect with the person that you're struggling with. You have to do that. Isn't that what Nehemiah did? He didn't go talking to his life group and complaining about all the problems that were in the Jewish nation. He went and talked to the nobles. He talked to the officials. He talked to the people who were making misuse of their authority. He connected with folks. Now, we have spent some time in Matthew chapter 18 and Matthew chapter 5. And we have been reminded that when there is an issue, it's always your turn to go. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Scripture says if you're worshiping and you remember that your brother's got ought against you, leave your worship at the altar, your sacrifice at the altar, go get reconciled with your brother, come back, and then you can worship freely. You cannot worship freely if you know your brother's got ought against you. Matthew 18, if you got ought against your brother, you go to him. That didn't work, you go to them again. That didn't work, you tell it to the church. You solve the problem. You connect with people. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah connected with the people. And he had the assembly. And he told them what was going on. And verse 9 says... The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of our nation? Why did Nehemiah want to connect with these people? For a couple of reasons. One, he wanted them to know that God was in charge and they were responsible to God. That's what the fear of our God is all about, right? And two, he wanted it to be a good testimony to the rest of the nations. Let me tell you something. When you're at odds because of pressure points in your life, people sense that. People know that. And it is not a good testimony to people who are outside. And so Nehemiah connects with the people who are struggling. And then Nehemiah finds a solution, right? They said, you're right. We shouldn't be doing what we've done. We're going to give it all back. We're going to take care of the interest. We're going to make sure that it's all handled. And at the end of verse 13, and all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. The pressure points resolved. Now, isn't that the way we ought to be handling things in our lives? Hmm? I mean, we have them, right? Do you have them where you work? Got them where you live? Got them where you don't live? Got them in our society? Get upset about them? Get upset about them to solve them? Or just to talk bad about them? One of the things that bothers me a bit, and I'm as guilty as anybody, is people who talk about governmental decisions that they don't appreciate. 
without ever writing their congressman or without ever doing anything about it, without ever getting involved. We do that all the time, don't we? And yet the pressure points of our lives need to push us toward a closer relationship with our God. Amen? Now next week we're going to start with verse 14. Verse 14 through the end of the chapter is not in sequence. I'll probably say this again next week. The Bible was not written in diary form, day one, day two, day three, day four. It's it's not always in sequence. Because Nehemiah comes back and he tells us a little bit about his track record and how God has used him as an example to the people. But folks, this morning, I just want to ask you, do you have any pressure points? Are you handling them biblically or emotionally? Are you handling them in the fear of God or the fear of men? Are you handling them in such a way that God is glorified and your testimony is intact? That's what building the wall is all about. That's what handling a brick involves. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, truth for our lives. And I pray that you would just help us to take these truths and apply them for your honor and for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen.